Hey, welcome back to the industry. So happy you decided to join us this week. Hope you had a great 4th of July holiday. I know I did. I spent mine in a small town in Indiana, which small town 4th of July celebration is about as good as it gets. Uh, you get all the fireworks you would anywhere else. Great food, great crowd, easy to get in and out of. Um, had a real good time. Uh, so 4th of July went off good. And if you're in the snow and ice business, uh, 4th of July should really be of some significance to you, in my opinion. Uh, so today's episode, we're going to talk about uh, kind of what those fireworks really mean for you if you're in the snow industry. Uh, we're also going to touch on AI again. Uh, if you've enjoyed some of the installments um, with artificial intelligence, talking about ChatGPT, uh, we have another piece of the pie to add in, another piece of the puzzle. Um, based on a conversation I had a few nights ago with a uh, local teacher in Indiana uh, talking about AI and school systems. Really interesting stuff. Excited to tell you about that conversation. And then lastly, we're going to talk about failure. Uh, that's how we're going to round out this show is by talking about failure. Um, housekeeping note, got just a couple episodes left of season one. Season two starts in September. So can't wait to see you back here in September to catch a kind of a revamp, rebranded a little bit um, show for ep or sorry, not episode season two, rather. So let's get down to fireworks. Um, fireworks start. Fourth of July is here. You know, we've been doing RFPs. We've been trying to get new business for the next snow season. Fourth of July for me is a uh, big wake up call for operations. That's kind of what it comes down to for me is your, your sales team has been working hard. Um, your, your maintenance crew is probably working hard, shutting down everything um, after postseason is over. And ops has kind of been on a break, especially if you don't have landscaping going on. If, if, if you're a snow only company, Ops has been on a break, but it's time for that break to be over. Fourth of July, the fireworks, they signify it's time to get off your butt and start thinking about snow again. So three things you should be doing, actually four, because if you do the number one thing, which is subscribe to my blog, which can be found at jetfacilityconsultants.com, you would already know this list. Um, but if you are not a subscriber of my blog, the blog is called Talk and Sleep, by the way. I thought that's kind of a slick um, slick title for this industry. Anyway, three things, right? One, you need to start having those conversations with your customer. Start talking to the customers you know you're going to have. Little things. Nothing big, just little things. Touch and base. Hey, how you doing? Hey, I'd like to schedule a preseason meeting for September. Can we get something on paper, something on the calendar? Hey, um, I know you signed off on this plow map last year. Does it look good for this year? Or are you guys expecting to have anything coming up in fall or in winter? 
or we might need to change this. We're going to ask you again in October when we do our preseason walkthrough and our inspection. But just so we kind of have an idea, let's talk about that. Start asking some of the questions, right? Start building that rapport early. Your customer's not going to be annoyed by it. They're going to like it. They really will. They're going to like that their snow provider is already trying to talk to them and already trying to set stuff up and get things ready in the month of July. Instead of waiting to see if they're going to come around in late October or November for their first appearance of the year. No, no, no. Start that now. Get out there and start having the communications that you need to. Everyone always talks about wanting these great relationships. This is where it starts by having those conversations early and getting things out of the way, getting things into the open air so they can be discussed. It's a much different narrative if you're driving that conversation in July, maybe bringing up some sore points, maybe bringing up some things that you don't really want to talk about in November. But if you're starting those conversations in July, you control the narrative, which gives you power as a provider, which is good, right? Number two on the list. Number two might be a little biased, but it's true. You need to implement mock storm training. This is the perfect time of year for it. Snow is many months away. Now is the time to do a deep dive when it comes to mock storms and how you operate. Ask the questions. Dig in deep. Figure out if your processes work. Figure out who amongst your snow operations team knows all of these processes and knows all this information that they should. But start preparing now. Start training now. Start running your teams through the gauntlet right now. And don't push it off until that first event comes around. Use this time wisely. Mock Storm's going to help confidence. Mock Storm's going to help ensure that everyone is aware of what's required of them. They're going to know all the plays in the playbook well before the season starts. And you should absolutely be adding some version of this. It doesn't have to be my version. It doesn't have to be my version of the Mock Storm does not have to be that. You can add your own version of mock storm training that best fits your company. I think you would like my version of the mock storm. I really do. And if you're interested in learning more about it, um, feel free to hit me up on LinkedIn. Feel free to email me. It's Levi at jetfacilityconsultants.com. Go ahead and reach out. I'd love to talk to you about it. Love to help you. I was at Snow Fighters just a couple of weeks ago up in Michigan, operations form, talking for like an hour and a half, two hours about this exact thing. 
had a lot of positive feedback from that experience, had a lot of questions, a lot of follow-up, a lot of interaction, and I love that. People asking questions because they're legitimately curious and interested. But this is the time of year for that. It's the time of year to go through these practice scenarios and start sharpening your team. Last but not least, we talked about meeting and talking to your customers. How about your employees? How about your seasonal employees? Everyone wants to complain about the, the, the labor market. It's tough to find labor. Well, if labor is a problem for you, I would highly recommend to reach out to your seasonal employees. Start having the conversations right now. Hey, man, you coming back for, for this winter? Hey, man, what's your plan? Hey, man, how's it been? How you doing? Everything all right? Maybe you do land work too and, you know, one of your shovel crew guys or an operator or whoever, you know, um, needs some extra work. Maybe you're able to put them to work for a month or so. Help them out. But you need to have those conversations with your seasonal employees too. And if you use a provider network, talk to your snow providers. At Caliber, back in May, we had a training summit. We invited one of our providers from Indiana to come out to talk to the team. One of the things, one of the first things he said from a provider's point of view is, hey, like it doesn't hurt anything and it actually strengthens the relationship. If you're able to, you know, reach out to these guys in July, in August, hey man, how's it been going? How'd you make out after everything was, was said and finished from the last year? You get any new equipment? You taking on any new geographies? Expanding your area? All good questions. But when companies do that, it makes that provider feel wanted, like, like the company cares about the relationship. And they care about the partnership and they want to continue it. They want to further the partnership. And that's exactly what needs to happen at this time of year. So 4th of July comes, fireworks, beer, hot dogs, burgers, ribs, and talking to your customers, mock storm training, and talking to your seasonal employees and or sub-supplier network. That's what needs to be happening. And trust me on this, the more work you're willing to put in right now for operations, the more work you're willing to put in in August and September to get things straight. Because we all know the preseason months of October and November are usually a shit show. They're so busy. You're trying to close land. You're trying to start snow. 
You have a bunch of things going on. You usually have training. You have client meet. I mean, all this stuff going on. It's it's chaos. It's, it's busy. It's tough. It would be wise to try to tackle the things that you can in August and September to alleviate some of the stress you're going to have in October and November. But what you do in the preseason directly impacts and dictates how your snow season is going to go. If you're lazy in the summer months and you're lazy during the preseason, you're going to have a bad snow season. It's just the way it is. All right, next. AI. We've talked about it a lot. There's a lot of things to talk about. As I meet people, as I get in conversations, I often ask, hey, you know, how about this AI stuff? And, you know, I kind of gauge their reaction, you know, to figure out their level of interest in AI. And, but more often than not, I find myself having to explain what it is. Um, not a lot of people out there are really using it. So a few nights ago was out for uh, drinks and dinner with mother-in-law and her boyfriend, my wife, Morgan and myself. And, uh, we end up at this, um, local restaurant, local hotspot, um, real old place, real cool place. Um, but we, you know, we were sitting outside, it was a nice evening having some drinks, having some bar food. And uh, our server just so happened to be a local, um, I think he said six through 12 um, grade teacher and was kind of, you know, working a job as a server over the summer months just to get some extra money in the door. And so he kept, you know, passing us and he would always kind of make the joke that, you know, he would just hear things that were, you know, again, wildly out of context because you're just passing and you happen to hear something. But he said, that's one of his favorite parts of the job is, you know, being able to walk past a whole bunch of different tables and get a whole bunch of little pieces of different stories um, and then try to you know figure out um, what's going on. But I was, you know, talking to the table about chat GPT. And, you know, kind of going a little bit in depth, explaining, you know, kind of my experience with it and what I've been able to, to use it for and um, just different things. Well, anyway, this guy walks past, happened to catch part of what I was saying. So he stopped and we started talking. And one of the first questions I asked, I said, okay, as a teacher, you know, like, how is AI, how is chat GPT being viewed by public education? And I was kind of prepared for the answer um, just by, you know, what you see on the news and stuff, but it wasn't, I don't know. Cause he made the comment about there's a lot of effort being put in to, limit plagiarism, limit people just, you know, copy and pasting direct from chat GPT and turning it in as their own with no 
edits, no modifications at all, right? And, you know, I kind of knew that. Um, but the emphasis that he talked about, that, that he put on just how much effort was really being put in to trying to beat plagiarism. And there was no effort being put in at all to actually educate those on AI or on chat GPT. So my follow-up question was, okay, like, is there, is there any, uh, any light in the tunnel as far as maybe an AI course or a chat GPT course or anything being developed? And he was like, no. He's like, that's not even the, the best we have right now is just kind of like in our general like technology or IT type of courses or classes um, that they might be having discussions about it there. But it's just discussions. It, it wouldn't be anything, you know, practical. It wouldn't um, be any true coursework, right? It would just kind of be chalked up to a conversation about current events in the IT tech um, industry or sector. And, you know, we kept kind of going back and forth talking about stuff. And, you know, I, I made mention, I was like, man, I was like, you know, to me, there has to be soon, very soon, a course, a class, something to teach these kids really how to use it. It's not just for, you know, um, forging a research paper or an essay, right? That there's a lot that you can do with this and, you know, really teaching them how to use it for their benefit. And then I mentioned this before on this show that chat GPT and AI is going to give education a run for its money. You you very much have to figure out the best way to go about um, mixing these two together. Let me ask you a question. Is it really important anymore that a student is taught how to put together a research paper, a research project? We all had them growing up. I remember all four years of high school, each year in English, having a research paper that was due, usually in the second semester. And it usually, uh, the entire project was over the course of a six-week period. And that grade for that research paper weighed heavy. It weighed so freaking heavy. And for the longest time, like, I just couldn't, I didn't like all the work you had to do um, along the way. I would just rather do a little bit of research, write my paper, and turn it in. I didn't want to do um, all the note cards to, 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 to build your paper. I didn't want to do all that stuff along the way. But the question remains now is, is that worth 
especially when you look at it from, you know, a, a time perspective, is that worth six weeks? I mean, in, in six weeks times four years. Is that worth it? When you know that once these kids graduate, they're never using that ever again. I mean, ever. Like, you're you're literally teaching them, I mean, how to type on a typewriter right now. Like, typewriter maintenance is what you're teaching, in my opinion, if you're teaching research projects. Because chat GPT can do it in 20 seconds. The lesson should be, okay, once I, you know, how can I give this the best prompts to get what I want? And then from there, it's, okay, how do I edit it into, again, what I want? Again, you know, there, there's a lot of, a lot of unrest when it comes to this AI stuff. Yeah, and some of it might be for good, um, good reason. You know, there is some scary stuff out there. Um, one thing that I've not really talked about as much on this show, but, you know, is the, the scams that will come from this. You know, everyone's gotten the email before from some prince in some African country that needs your help um, recovering all their rubies. But, um, you know, the, the message is always written in broken English, and it's really hard um, to even read, let alone believe, right? But with ChatGPT, hmm. Now these scam emails are going to really sound legitimate. And people are really going to have to pay attention to you know, who sent this email and all this other stuff because it will get really hard to, to be able to tell what's going on. But it seems that, I mean, definitely the education side of things, but even as a country in general, it seems like we're running in the opposite direction. It seems like we're running to stop this instead of figuring out how to use it. We're spending time on figuring out the best legislation that supports the control of AI instead of just figuring out how to use it. Figuring out how to use it as a government, figuring out how to use it in our education systems and the workplace. You know, for every second, every minute that you spend not using, or at least not figuring out how some of this AI could, could best serve your company, and on a larger level could best serve your country, you're falling behind. And, and falling behind is an understatement. Because once you use this, you understand just how quickly you're falling behind. And there's countries out there that are spending every waking second figuring out how to, to add this to um, their government, to their defense, to their, their finance, to everything to make them better. So we, we just have to make it a priority above all priorities to learn this, 
to figure out, you know, what we're going to do about it, but learn. We have to learn. You know, a scary thing that I heard a while back, and it doesn't matter what side of the political aisle you sit on, all right? They recently conducted a, a survey of Congress, meaning the representatives and the Senate. And ask them, you know, kind of some basic questions of, hey, you know, do you know how to use Facebook? Do you know how to use Twitter? Have you used ChatGPT? Do you even really know what it is? Questions like that. The percentage of sitting members of Congress who knew how to use Facebook knew how to use simple applications was staggeringly low. It was embarrassingly low. It's my opinion that if you're sitting in a congressional seat, then it doesn't matter your age or anything else, but you're supposed to stay up with the times because you're making decisions based on that. So we're going to have the two bodies of Congress who probably over 60% of which have never used AI, have never used ChatGPT, and really have no idea what it even is. They're going to be the ones telling us how we're able to use it and in what capacity and at what bandwidth. And man, that's just, that's the bad way of doing it. It's the wrong way. And it's not going to help us in the future. Um, it's kind of my prediction, you know. Next and last, talk about failing. All right. Failing is the absolute best motivation you can have for your future self. I'm not really talking about failing from the perspective of, oh, you, you tried this idea and it failed like, you know, like an experiment or like an invention or a business opportunity. No, no, no. I'm talking about failing like you absolutely hit total and complete rock bottom. You've lost your job, all your prospects. During your time that you've spent unemployed, you've drained your savings. You've drained any retirement. You've pawned and you've sold off anything that you can. And you've been evicted. So now you're homeless or you're living out of your car. You have no one to borrow money from. And you are completely, just utterly helpless. That's the kind of failure that I'm talking about. That's the type of failure that, if you've experienced it, 
you should be grateful because not everyone has and not everyone necessarily, you know, deserves to or ever will. But for those that have or those that might be going through something similar right now, you know, there is there is hope on the other side. And part of that hope is if you've experienced failing like that, failing so magnificently bad, you really, that, that, that keeps you um, from repeating it. You know, six years ago, I was living out of my car. I was effectively homeless. And, you know, I've kind of told this story before in another episode with, with Daniel Chismar. We had an episode called Don't Be a POS, a piece of shit. And, you know, we talked about this. So I'm not going to rehash the entire story, but, you know, six years ago, yeah, I was living out of my car. And as I was able to dig myself out of this hole, as things started to kind of fall to my favor because I was finally working hard enough and, and putting in enough effort that, you know, now opportunities were coming my way and I was able to start um, really kind of putting, you know, um, degrees of separation in between rock bottom and wherever I was. But I was going up. I was moving in the right direction. And now I, I sit here and my trajectory is still up. I'm still climbing. But it's kind of, it's unnerving to to really understand and see how few degrees there are between rock bottom and living the life you want to live. You know, it, it doesn't take much to end up back in a really, really bad position. And knowing that motivates me. It really does. It it, it motivates me. It it doesn't let me become too, um, too familiar, too comfortable in a situation. It, you know, keeps me trying to reach for more. And trying to really solidify, you know, different um, different positions and, and just, you know, accomplish different goals that are going to help build even more space in between rock bottom and wherever I am. The other thing failure does is if you notice when you fail... If you were taking notes and paying attention, 
you're going to know the types of behaviors or the types of decisions that you made along the way. And, or maybe just the general mindset that you have, whatever went in to leading you down that path, you now have the information about knowing that. And so then you can really start to identify that if it ever comes along again. You know, some days, not often, not often, but some days, you know, at work, I may, you know, not give a project 100%. You know, some days I might half-ass a little bit. Not necessarily intentionally, right? Just kind of zoning out, going through the motions type stuff. But then, you know, maybe later that same day, maybe the next day, might even be a couple days, I'll notice. It's not that me, you know, mailing something in comes back to bite me. But as I'm kind of replaying some things through my head throughout the week, I go, wow, I really, you know, really kind of mailed it in here. You know, like I, I didn't do... Um, what I should have done. And I catch that. I catch it and I, you know, I, I know that number one, I need to go back and, and, and fix that project if applicable, right? But also, now I've pretty much guaranteed myself that the next... 45 days, 60 days, 90 days, whatever, I'm going to work without making a single mistake. I'm going to work that like, you know, I, I just caught my own mistake and, you know, but I, I'm not going to allow that to be the status quo. You know, if, if someone from work were to say, hey, what happened here? you know, they're really not even going to be able to because my next month, two months, three months are going to be so spectacular and so good and so extraordinary that you'll never even find that half a day that I did something half-assed. And for that, I have failure to think. because it's allowed me to build a mental, a mental alarm clock for detecting, um, you know, me being a piece of shit, right? For detecting me going down a road again that I never want to even be on. And that alarm goes off. And I go, oh, shit. You know, need to start paying attention. Need to, you know, stop zoning out, need, you know, whatever, right? But I need to continue to push. You know, when I started Case, man, 
you know, I, I never told the bosses no. I did every single thing that was asked of me all the time. Didn't matter what I had going on in my personal life. You know, I, I answered to case. And it was like that for, I mean, really, um, the, the, the first few years of my career there. And just, you know, working like I was still as desperate as I was when I started. And it's so nice being able to tap into that mentality whenever I need to. To tap into that mentality of needing to scrape and to work desperate. You know, to work like this last check I got might be my last check. I'm not saying you got to work like that all the time. I'm not saying that I do. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm intentionally trying to stress myself all the time, but it's there if I need it for extra motivation. I like to think that I don't do um, a bad job in the first place. Hell, I just got promoted at Caliber. But still, you know, because that's something else that failure has given me is trying to hold myself to a higher standard when it comes to work. So that even if I fail in my eyes, it's still probably a passable job or even an okay job in my employer's eyes. So... If maybe you're going through some failing stuff, or especially if, you know, you've been there yourself, you know, reflect back on it from time to time. Use that as motivation moving forward. It's some of the best motivation that I have. But that's all we're going to talk about that this time. Um, to wrap this up, Snowfighters Forum, Operations Forum in September. I'll be there talking about mock storms. It's going to be, I'm not really sure if it's in Pennsylvania or Jersey. It's, it's, it's close. It's, it's on the border there. Um, all the details are at snowfightersinstitute.com. Go there, check it out for the dates, times, all that stuff. Um, sign up for it. Uh, again, I was at the one in Michigan, um, got to, you know, observe quite a bit because um, it was a two-day thing and my part was only two hours. So, um, you know, got to um, listen to, to Neil and Phil for, you know, for free. And, um, you know, that's that's worth it all in itself, you know, for me. So um, a lot of good information from them, from me as well. Um, so if you get a chance to come out, um you know, sure love to see you. And you can also message me on LinkedIn for information about that as well. Uh, season two begins in September. Uh, date still to be determined, but thinking that first or second week of September is going to be likely. Um, and then season one will end um, 
next week. Next week will be the last episode of season one. Um, and for all those that have been listening to every episode or has, you know, caught more than a few or whatever, um, really appreciate your, you know, your listenership. Hope that you come back in season two. Um, really trying to make uh, season two be a, a different kind of show, keeping some of the same elements, but, um, you know, really just trying to uh, re- rebrand and um, just kind of redevelop uh, the show into into something better for the listeners. That's what we're always trying to do is be better for the listeners. So really appreciate you uh, tuning in and joining us this week. Until next week, I will see everybody later. Thanks. Bye.